Okay, there we are. It'll get straightened out. It'll get, it'll get good. It'll get good. Well, thank you for being here. But if you're expecting John Duncan, he's not here. So, so I'm going to fill in. And I'm not sure how far down the list I am on uh, when you ask somebody to preach. When, uh, when I was preaching at Carrizoza, we had a fellow that said, you can ask me to lead singing just before the women. So... I kind of feel like that may be about where I'm at here. Thank you guys from Texas Tech being here. This is really good to have you. Really, really good. And I want to thank Jason Jan. They spent yesterday up on the roof. I don't see them over here right off. They're probably back in class. But they spent yesterday up on the roof patching up all our holes. We had a real bad one back over in this area that had almost fill up a 55-gallon trash can in each uh, rainstorm. And so thank you, Jason. Thank you, Jan. And Jan, Jan's bearing a little evidence of being in the sun all day yesterday, so pat her on the back softly. So, <laughs> but, but oh, it's good to be here. If you would turn to uh, 1 Corinthians 13 and verses 8 through 13, we're going to be reading in a little bit. <clears throat> John usually comes up with a good joke, and I'll tell you what, my brain has not been thinking about jokes this week and the last week. It's been thinking about... God's love never fails. We've been in a series that uh, John's been teaching for 12 or 13 weeks, somewhere around in there. You don't have 1 Corinthians? The rest of it. <laughs> <laughs> the 1 Corinthians 13? And we'll be at verse, start at verse 8. Start at verse 8. But he's been, uh, he's been working with that, and uh, this podium is just not big enough. I like something I can hide behind, and this thing is not doing it for me. So if I lose a paper, we may really change things around, and you may miss your, your reservation time at whatever restaurant you're looking at. But John's taught us that, that love does things. Love is work. Love is action and, and gets things going. He's taught us that love imagines. Love shows up. Love accepts. Love says yes. Love serves. Love listens. Love invests. Love protects. Love trusts. Love hopes. And love stays. And as I've been looking at love never fails, it's obvious that these are traits, these are the nature of God and of Jesus Christ. And by being His nature and us being followers of Him, they should be ours too. And so 1 Corinthians 13, verses 8 through 13 tells us, Love never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they'll be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there's knowledge, it'll be done away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes... The partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak as a child, think as a child, reason as a child. And then I became a man. I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, just as I also have been fully known. But now abideth faith, hope, love. These three, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Let's ask God to bless this service today. Father, I, I am just so grateful um, to be here. I am so grateful for each and every one that's taken the time out of their day to be here. 
And Father, I ask that your spirit will just anoint each and every one of us. It will fill us with the thoughts and things of love, your love for us, our love for each other, our love for this world. But to realize and to know that the underlying point of this whole lesson today is love never fails. And Father, I want to lift up the one church that's just around the corner here. And I know um, they work with love. They work out of love. They are in love with, with the people they work with. Um, they deal with addictions each and every day and, and, and a lot of other areas. But Father, their work with addictions in this town are tremendous. And I ask a blessing upon them. I ask that you'll, you'll just strengthen each and every one that's there, Father, that's spreading your word, that's spreading your love throughout this town. Father, we thank you for the, the gifts you've given us. We thank you for the nature that you've shown us through your son, Jesus Christ. And I'd ask, Father, that you'll help us to pick up on that and that you'll help us to be a mirror, an image of Christ with those that are around us that we come in contact with. Thank you, Father, for loving us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Let's go over to John chapter 5. And uh, just, we'll really dive into this. It's going to seem like I'm a little lost at times, I think. Um, just keep in mind, the bottom line today is love never fails. No matter what I'm saying up here, what's going on in your head, love never fails. John chapter 5 and verses 19 through 20 tells us, Jesus answered and said to them, I say to you, the son of man, son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, these things the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all things that he himself is doing and greater works than these will he show him that you may marvel. Jesus saw what God did. Jesus was with God in the beginning, and he saw what God did. He saw how God handled Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel and each and every one of, of those that came up through the Old Testament. He saw how he worked. He was obedient when he came to this world because he knew what God's love was. And he knew that God wanted that love presented to man. And when I think of obedience, I always think of, of somebody trying to make me do something. And I, you know, I've got several people in this room that'll vouch that I'm pretty hard-headed. And it takes a lot to get me to do something. But that wasn't Jesus' case. Jesus was not being hard-headed. He wasn't, he didn't feel like he had a, a master over him that was cracking a whip that was saying, you have to go and do this. Jesus' Jesus's obedience came out of joy. And it was because he was being true to the nature of God. He was made in the image of God. He was made in the same image that Adam and Eve were made in. And Adam and Eve messed that image up. And that flows down onto us today. And that's what God wanted to straighten up and fix. God and his son are servants. They're examples for us. They're humble. The traits that we, we, I read off earlier that John's been preaching about each and every Sunday. These were the guiding principles in Christ's life as he was here on this earth. He was completely faithful to him, and Jesus was obedient to the fact that love does. When you look at the life of Christ, you see love in action. At the perfect time when God had chosen Christ to do the one right, really perfect thing in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus did it. He stepped out and he did that. 
And I can't say that about my life. In my selfishness, I usually fail. When the time is right for me to make a choice and to say, this is out of love, there's so many times that I blow it, that I just look the other way, I walk away, I do something different. I get it out of my mind. In Matthew, Christ gives us what might be the most condensed secret of the whole gospel and, and the whole time of him being here. Matthew chapter 16 and verses 24 through 25. <clears throat> Jesus said to the disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. This is like atomic energy in the world today. It's like the most powerful thing we could get, and get a hold of. And if we could incorporate this into our lives, if I could put this into my life, all of these traits that John's been telling us about love would just fall into place. Because when we read these verses, the very first person we always think about is Jesus Christ. And I think it's, it has to do with the, cross, with the mention of the cross that's in there and, and taking that cross up. We saw Jesus do that. But for us, we always step back. I know I do. I know that, that I step away from what I know I should be doing. But this is the essence of how God operates. It's how Jesus lived. It's, it's, the, it's how the church, the body of Christians, the followers of Christ in this world should be doing. But to activate this command in my life and yours, if we could do this, it would unlock a power that would be as magnetic and as attractive as it was to Jesus Christ in his, in his day and time. It's not mysterious or mystical like some other verses are, and it, it doesn't have a lot of drama behind it. And so a lot of times we just go on over this thing. And then we start seeing that our piety or our religious devotion, all of a sudden the rules that we impose upon ourselves, and we say, these are religious, this is what will draw me closer to Christ. They get into the way of, of us, and we don't take up our cross and daily follow him. We start sabotaging what Christ has done for us. There was a teacher I read about, had a weekend seminar, and, and uh, he was at a, a break during that seminar and uh, was talking to a Christian couple and a Buddhist couple and was just asking them, some, you know, what have you gotten out of this? Am, am I on the right track and doing this thing and doing this right? And the Christian man just at some point in there lit up a cigarette. And he just stopped and he said, you know, I've tried to quit this and I just haven't been able to. And I know that it hurts my witness to, about Christ. And the Buddhist woman answered him and, and said, you know, it's not, it's not the things you do with, your, with, with what we call religious rules that we as non-Christians, when we become a Christian, look at in you. It's how do you treat other people? That's what we look at to see if you're really sincere about what you're doing. You know, the Pharisees accused Jesus of about everything under the sun. They called him a, a glutton. They called him a drunkard. But they never, ever, ever accused him of not loving people. Never did. It was just obvious. He was obedient to the Father. He was like him because his love never fails. But the power for this obedience didn't just happen with Jesus. You see, what I've been saying up here is I make the wrong moves. I take the wrong steps. I do the wrong things. Jesus' power came from a, a source that was different than himself. 
his, his, we, we talk about people being anointed today, and, and uh, usually when we hear that or we see that, and if you ask a congregation about their preacher or you hear them talking about their preacher being anointed, they'll talk about how he, he acts on stage, or they'll talk about the sound of his voice, or they'll, or they'll talk about his, how eloquent he was. But when you look at Jesus and you see his anointing and you see what, what went on in his life, he went away in the wilderness when he was anointed for 40 days, was tempted by Satan, was tempted in all things, we're told. He saw the power of what makes us fall. He saw that we are really, truly just dust. We are weak. We are sinful. He sees what we go through. And then with that battle won, he walks out of there and he goes right to the synagogue and he, he's handed the scroll and it's open over to, over to Isaiah. And Luke tells us what he read in, in uh, Luke chapter 4 and verses 18 and 19. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are downtrodden, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And then he hands it back to the fellow, and he goes and sits down, and then he says, these verses, this scripture is fulfilled in your ears today. It's happened today. That's the anointing of the Holy Spirit, because from that point on, we see him coming, going into the wilderness, we see him coming out, and his life was totally changed and focused upon you and me, upon people. It was no longer focused upon anything else. You think Jesus fought with his brothers? I do. I read a story one time that talked about he pushed one of his brothers off the roof and he broke his arm and he did his first miracle. You know, it, I, I, it's, it's, I always picture Jesus as being way up here, but he was human. When he was anointed, he was focused. He was focused on what God wanted him to do and where he wanted him to go. And that's what caused him to fulfill his nature, to be obedient. It wasn't God up there saying, you have to do this, you have to do that. The word Messiah means anointed one. It wasn't how he looked after the 40 days in the wilderness. It wasn't how he talked. It wasn't what he ate. It wasn't anything like that. How did he treat people? How did he treat people? He was very focused on people. And so he gives us several instances here of what he did. He preached good news to the poor. There was a preacher I read about. He lived in Roswell. And uh, this was back in the 1800s. I have no idea where the article came from. I have no idea where it went. But it was wonderful to read about a man that would get on his horse. He had a horse, a saddle, and the clothes on his back. And he would head west. He'd go down through Hondo Valley and preach. He'd go through Carrizozo and preach. He'd head on over to Socorro and preach. Magdalena, Daddle, Pie Town, Quamato. He would head back, hit Reserve, Silver City, all of those towns up in the mountain there. Drop down and catch Lordsburg, Deming, Las Cruces, through Riodoso, and back to Roswell. This man had nothing. He preached to, to what I would consider the poor of the poor. And there were people in ranches around Pytown that still remembered this man that I'd met and talked with. And they talked about their parents or their grandparents and how they loved this man because he was just a simple 
man. He had nothing. And so when you look at going to preach, uh, you know, just picture what he would have had if he'd have stayed in Roswell, a man like that. Think of what would have happened with the gospel in Roswell. But he wanted to preach to the poor. He wanted to get on out. I've heard that poor people don't hardly know what to do with good news because they hardly ever get any, which is true. I've been there on what I consider poor level. And there were times when good news came and I just blew it off. I didn't know what to do with it. Things were so bad. I needed something else other than just what they were saying. And I've heard people say, and I've been a, a responsible for saying this at other times too, is you can't help the poor until they understand better how to handle being helped. Just, it hurts me to be able to say that. It's part of my spiritual walk, part of my, what God's put me through, to be able to say that to you. But I've heard people say that and say that. The poor just need us. They need to be loved. They need to know that God's love never fails. And this is the physical side of it. What about the spiritual side of being poor? Well, I think 1 Corinthians 13 talks about that when he mentions children and, and young in faith, those that are poor in spirit, those that when you, when you have somebody that's, that's spiritually mature, they need to be looking after, taking care of those that are coming up behind them and just walking along. I remember a meeting we had here one time, and there was one of the men stood up. He could hardly stand. He was on oxygen. And there were things happening within the church, and, and uh, he just stood up and he said, whatever you do, don't leave me behind. And I'm going, I'm following you. <laughs> he's, he is he's older. He's mature. He knows what's going on. And yet he felt like he was being left behind by being spiritually poor. There's those here today who are poor physically. And there's those here today that are poor spiritually. And I ask you for your forgiveness for the way I've treated you for the way we've treated you as a church at times. A lot of visitors here today, what's the church done in your community? I ask for forgiveness in that community, wherever you're from. Come give us a chance to show you that love never fails, because we blow it from time to time. Then Jesus steps out and he says, I've preached freedom for the prisoners, for those that are captive, when was the last time you visited someone in jail? I don't like that question either. It's just been a long time. We've got people that are members of this church that have been in jail. And they're brothers and sisters in Christ. It's been a long time since I visited anyone there. When I was a jailer at Lincoln County, when I hired on, they, I was told by a lot of the different officers and even the sheriff at that time that you have to treat prisoners different that if they're in an orange jumpsuit they deserve to be here and you need to treat them like they need to be here and then I went to jailer training school where I got 40 hours of training from a fellow out of Santa Fe and his teaching was you want to see what it's like to be in jail on a slow time go set yourself down in a cell and lock the door I still have the key Lock the door. I couldn't take more than five minutes of it. Couldn't do it. And I had the key. And he said, you treat people that are here that have charges filed against them like you'd want to be treated because they're people. And that's what I latched on to. And needless to say, I didn't get along good with the other employees there at the sheriff's office. 
but it's been amazing to watch in my life as I go to Walmart or I travel around. And even today, it's been over 20 years ago that I was there that I'll run into somebody and they'll say, hi, Paul, you know, thanks. It used to be a running joke between Tyler and me when, when we'd go to Walmart because we'd, uh, we'd meet somebody and she'd go on shopping and, and she'd say, well, where do you know them from? You know, type thing. And, uh, and a majority of the time, it was bus ministry or it was jail ministry. <laughs> it, was, it was one of those two. But people behind bars need help. Jesus finds the forgotten, and that's who they are. They're forgotten. They're locked up. And that should be our goal, too. And if this is really uncomfortable for you, which it is for me, let's go to the spiritual side and see if it gets any better on that side. When was the last time you visited someone that has an addiction? Just show up over at their house. You know Friday or Saturday night they're drinking till the point they pass out. Could you go over to their house on Friday night and bang on the door and just say, let me be with you. Let me help you. Let me walk you through this. Or when you know they're shooting up, just go over and interrupt it. When was the last time you talked to somebody that has a gambling addiction that says they go out to the casino or the track on, and they can't help themselves? They have to be there. They have to. When was the last time you talked to someone who's struggling with lust or pornography or perversion? Or what about lying or stealing? When was the last time you talked to somebody who's in the throes of adultery? It's really uncomfortable. Really uncomfortable. Makes you just to go there and do that is hard to do. But love never fails. These people are prisoners. They're held captive. They're, they become isolated. They become forgotten. And these people lose their self-image. And so... We as Christians, many, many times, we stand back and we go, hey, over here, over here, you're free, you don't have to be in that, you're free, over here, over here, over here, you're free, you're free. They didn't listen to me. When we take, when we take us out of the picture, it takes God out of the picture, it takes Christ out of the picture, and it takes love out of the picture. And so I think Christ used the, the thought of prisoners behind bars. They can't come to us. We have to go to them as an analogy that we as Christians in the world today need to do the same thing. There's those here today that have been in prison, that have come out of prison. There's those here today that I've not gone and talked to you. I've not put my arms around you. We've not put our arms around you. The church you came from did not put their arms around you. And I ask you to forgive us for that. Forgive us. Know that we're sorry for that. And we want to show you, try to show you, that love never fails. And then Jesus goes to re preaching recovery of sight for the blind. And one of my standing arguments with God is you just don't heal enough just don't heal enough. It's not just blind. It's those that cancer is wreaking havoc in the world today. We've got all kinds of sickness and disease and things going on. We've got weather issues that happen. We've got rain pouring down in the south and the east, and we're burning up in the west coast, and we don't know what to do in between. And we feel blessed here because we're green and no fire danger. But God, there's just not enough good things happening. 
And then Jesus argues back with me and he says, well, guess what? You don't pray enough. You just don't pray enough. And he says, when, when I do get them on a path of recovery, you're not there to walk with them. You're not there to put your arm around them and help them through this and take the next step. Sometimes the healing process takes years. And it's a chore. It's a challenge. It's an investment. But Jesus took that investment. He took that. And when he walked in, he freely healed the crowds. He, it, it was just open healing, it seems like, so many times. And he never, ever stepped back and said, well, you don't have enough faith. He didn't do that. He would comment a few times in the New Testament on somebody's great faith. But after commenting on that great faith, he would go back to healing whoever walked up. It didn't matter on the person's faith as to what, what happened or anything like that. But when hurting people come and we pray, so many times I've heard preachers say, just need to believe a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Hurting people come today not out of disbelief. And some are healed and some aren't, and I don't understand that. I just don't understand it. I don't believe anybody here understands that either. But I know that God's told me to pray and leave the healing to Him. And then He's told me that love never fails, and you need to be there with them. Well, what about the spiritually blind? Who would, who would that, who, what kind of a group would that lead into or look like, the spiritually blind? Have you ever seen anybody that looks spiritually blind? Have you ever seen anybody that looks spiritually blind? If you haven't, you might be blind. <laughs> There's something going on there. Have you ever seen them? Well, I know people that just, they just need to change. They know better than that. They shouldn't be doing that. I know people, I, they see my love. They see the love of the church. I know they do. Why can't they act different? I, I know people that... They know what to do. They know the next right thing to do, but they just don't do it. I just don't get it. You want to see prayer work 100% of the time? Pray for somebody that comes to you and says, would you pray for me? I've sinned. Ask God to forgive me. 100% of the time. Guaranteed. No doubts. No ands or buts in my mind. 100% of the time, you want to see prayer at work. Know people good enough that they will come to you and say, please pray for me because I've sinned. And God forgives them. He leads them. He takes them. He says, now they're yours. You get to guide them. You get to walk with them. But there's those here today that physically have been sick and they've come for prayers and they've asked me to pray and I say I will and there's times I haven't. And we haven't. And your church family hasn't. And there's those here today that have, are spiritually sick. And they need more. We say they need more faith. But please forgive us for saying anything like that. Please forgive us for trying to make it your fault that prayers aren't being answered. We need to just pray. Please forgive us of that. And let us have a chance to show you that love never fails. And then Jesus says he goes to the oppressed. And oppressed, if you look that up, I think means to burden with some sort of cruel or unjust restraints. It's just cruel, oppressed. And Jesus came to release them. Oppressed people are really strange to us. We just don't understand them. We want to help. I mean, it's obvious they need help. 
We want to do something for them. But when we go up and try to help them with something, a lot of times they walk away. Or a lot of times they just get mad and they look at you like, why, why weren't you here six months ago? That's when I needed you. And they throw our help back in our face. And so we, we kind of put our hands up and, and go, I, I just don't know what to do. And it's really horrible when we as Christians or followers become what oppresses people or pushes them away. You see, we have our rules, we have our regulations, and my younger days of preaching, I preached that if you'd conform to what I thought was right, I'd accept you. I'd accept you. Jesus doesn't say that. He doesn't put that in the Bible anywhere. He says, my love never fails. My love is with you. It's out there. I'm on your side. We just don't want to do with it, deal with it group that I look at today that I know is oppressed and I know is hurting bad, they're longing for love, is our gay community. They're longing for love. They're longing to be, have arms wrapped around them. But we stop and we say, what would my family think? What would my boss think? What would my friends think? They know. We're on God's side. They need us. They long for us. And we make these rules up that say, if you'll, just, if you'll just put that aside and trust in Jesus and give it all to God, you'll be okay. But that's not what Jesus did during his day and age. He loved them. He loved them, and he didn't put any conditions on it. Spiritually, what would an oppressed person look like? <clears throat> I had a little trouble with this one, trying to... Literally get it figured out, and, and then God opened my brain up and said, here you go. It's those that are depressed. Those that have a low self-image. Those that are suicidal. Those are all areas that Christians run from. I've fought with depression through the years. And that depression led me to a point where I wanted to take my own life. And I couldn't talk to anyone. I tried talking to some. And they'd pray for me and work with me. But it was the continual prayers of our small group that pulled me through that. We don't know how to handle it. We don't as Christians. There's a book by Menrith and Myers on happiness is a choice, and that book just opened my eyes up because it's the first two Christian counselors that I know of in the United States that actually acknowledged that depression is not some clinical thing that you can give drugs to and fix. <laughs> that our almighty God and his love can help that. I'm not saying medicine is not needed. There's times where depression is so bad that if you can take medicine, it can open your mind up to where you can see what God has to offer. It's not a matter of just walking up and praying for somebody and saying, there, you're fixed. It doesn't work all the time. I don't understand why. I just don't understand it. But I know that prayers that come 
from the, the heart of our brothers and sisters, the love that's given when they wrap their arms around you, the love that's offered when you say, I don't want to be here. I used to sit over here and sing on Sunday mornings with a heart full of hate. And people would say, oh, how good you sound. And I'd say, I'd just look at them and just go, if you only knew on the inside. You just need to know what's going on inside. Those are the spiritually depressed. And if we don't know what to do, we can usually find somebody that does. We just don't want to send them away and say, you'll be okay. We just don't want to disappear. Jesus sticks around and helps, and there's some here today that are gay. I will guarantee it in a group this size. There are some, and thank you for being here. Thank you for giving us a chance to love you. But please forgive us for all the things we've said, all the ugliness we've dealt out to you and to your friends, to those that you love. Forgive us for that and give us a chance to wrap our arms around you. And in what I've felt through depression and low self-image and, and suicide, I've dealt that out to other people. I don't anymore because I understand. But please forgive us for the years and for the times that we've done that. Forgive us for that and let us love on you. And then Jesus says, he closes this out. He says, he came to proclaim the year of the Lord, the year of the Lord's favor. Year of the Lord's favor. He came to proclaim. That sounds like good news. We need to get excited over that one. Well, I went around preaching as a young man. The world is bad. And people that are in it are bad. And there's, and there's bad things happening. And people would come up and repent and change. And I thought, boy, I'm doing really, really good with all of this. And, you know, it, uh, it's working. But if, if I'd have been in the group that brought the woman that was caught in adultery to Jesus, you know where I'd be? I'd be one of them holding her arm and saying, come on, let's go. And I'd put her out there and I'd say, okay, now justice will be done. But that's not what Jesus would do. That's not what he did. Jesus told her he's on her side. He told her he loves her. He told her that love never fails. And that's the message that this world needs to hear. There are those here today that we've done this to. We brought you before Jesus and we put you out there and we've said, there you go. Basically, turn or burn. And please forgive us for that. Forgive us for not loving you. Forgive us for not wrapping our arms around you. And now we're ready to look at the verses that Caleb read for us over there in, in John. I love those verses. Always think of Kim Chesser. Anytime I read about shepherds and sheep, I always think of Kim. I never had a shepherd in my life before like that until I moved here. There was Kim Chesser, but Jesus says he is the good shepherd. He lays down his life for his sheep. And greater love has no one than this, that he will lay down his life for his friends. That's the ultimate test of love never fails. Am I willing to do that? Are you willing to do that? Remember, Jesus wasn't forced. He doesn't force us. He just asks you, are you willing to lay your life down for those that I love? Love's always a choice. We can choose to serve or we can choose to reject. If we choose to serve, then that's love. And that's where God wants us to go to. We humans, we mess it up. We read the verse that love never fails and 
I think I've given you several examples where love does fail for me, for us. What have we done? What have you done to others? What have we done as a church? Just can tear people apart. The sheep know his voice and they hear him. The sheep know his voice and they hear him. I want you to hear Jesus say today, I love you. I love you. There's no stipulations. You don't have to do anything to earn it. You don't have to to do anything to receive it. He just says, I love you. Hear him say, I love you. Do you want that love? That love never fails. If you've not given your life to Jesus Christ, take him on to be your Lord and Savior. We can can help you with that this morning. Give your life to him and, and seal that life through baptism for the remission of your sins, the forgiveness of your sins, to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Come to him this morning and accept that. If you're struggling with being poor or a prisoner or blind or oppressed, I want you to come this morning. There's going to be elders in the front and elders in the back. Come this morning and let us pray for you. And if you're like me, and we're all human, if you're like me, and you would, and you've oppressed people, you've been ugly to the poor, you haven't prayed for the blind, You haven't seen anybody that's in prison. Come this morning and let us pray for you. Let us pray that you can see, it has nothing to do with faith, that you can see and know and feel that love never, ever fails. Love does not fail. Won't you come this morning as we stand and sing? Here's my heart, Lord.